0: Good morning, CPC. Big thanks again to Kurt and Lynn for sharing um, and being open and honest about their time. Well, I am not Jerry. Jerry is in Spain, as uh, as Scott mentioned in his prayer. And so this morning, you're stuck with me. And if you don't know me, uh, my name is John Grabiel. I'm our director of student ministries here at CPC. And so typically, I'm with our our middle school and high school students. But today, I get to be with you. And we're going to have some fun. All right, there we go. Um, We are in the series True North, and we're in kind of our third leg of True North. The beginning started back in the fall of last year, actually, and we began to look at the things that we believe, the things that we believe about God and Jesus and the Bible. And that took us to the second chunk, and we started to talk about what do we do with those beliefs. And so, we started to talk about Bible study and worship in prayer. And now we're in the third leg of the True North series and we're looking at how our beliefs shape who we are. How our beliefs shape how we are. And so that's where we're at this morning and we've been looking at things like hope and humility and faithfulness. And this morning we're going to look at self-control. And in the New Testament, we often refer to those things as fruits of the spirit or spiritual disciplines. I know we don't like the word discipline all that much. I know I don't like the word discipline all that much. But when I hear the word discipline, I'm often reminded of a book, A Celebration of Discipline, written by theologian uh, Richard Foster. And in that book, he says this. And if you have a pen, you might want to grab that and write this on your bulletin because we're going to come back to it a couple times. Richard Foster says this He says, By themselves, spiritual disciplines can do nothing. By themselves, spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. And I'd say that that place is the place where the truth that we're loved is greater than the lie that we're unlovable. That's the place that these disciplines are moving us toward. And so this morning, we're going to look at self-control, and we're going to look at our text. It's Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. So if you have your Bible, you can grab that, or if you have the Bible app on your phone, or it'll be on the screens as well. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith as precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that we're going to talk about self-control, I know that's not the most comfortable topic, and some of you start to squirm a little bit, but I assure you, we are all in the same boat when it comes to self-control. We all wrestle with the issue of self-control. We're all in the same boat, although our boats might look a little different. I love golden Oreos. Does anybody else love golden Oreos? (laughs) All right. Well, this will go over well. <clears throat> I, have, I have a pack for each section here. So, Don, you can rip that open and pass it around your friends there. Here you go. I love golden Oreos. I love them so much that I decided I was going to come this morning with golden Oreos to share so that you can experience the goodness for yourself. Now, Scott, I'm going to wait just a second on yours because I want one. <laughs> You smell them if, if, as they go by. This isn't a new way of doing communion. I, it's just me being kind. With, um, I love these things. I love golden Oreos. Um, some people might say I might have a little bit of a problem when it comes to the golden Oreo. They are my guilty pleasure, for sure. When I first open that pack, that's what I do. I smell them like that. They smell so good. It's everything that is in within me to not just sit down and eat an entire row of those things. And because I know that about myself, I started to discipline myself years ago. In fact, it was so long ago that it was before the Golden Oreo. It was just the regular old Oreo. And so what I would do is I would, I'd open a new pack, and I would pull three Oreos out. And I would put three Oreos on the counter, and I would pour my glass of milk, and I would put the Oreos away. And I would take my three and my glass of milk, and I would dip them in the milk. But you got to be careful, because you don't want to leave them in too long, because if you leave them in too long, they get soggy. But you don't want to just dip it, because then it's just basically the same cookie. So it's kind of a science, really. And so I would have my three Oreos, and then I would wait for the next day to have three more. I knew that about myself. And I know that we all have our own golden Oreo, right? We all have our own guilty pleasure. And I know this because I emailed some of you last week and asked if you would share your own guilty pleasure. And so I had several responses. Some were what you might expect. Some were concerning. Some, <laughs> some were just absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to share some of those responses that I got from, from you guys. And um, I would ask that you would do this. I said I wouldn't share their names and I won't. Um, but if you identify or you particularly resonate with something that is said, feel free to clap or to say yes or, or give an amen so that the person who shared their guilty pleasure can maybe feel a little bit better about themselves and realize that they're not, not alone. This one came up multiple times. Uh, the pumpkin spice latte. Any fans of the pumpkin spice latte? There we go. There we go. You're not alone. Uh, Taco Bell. Any Taco Bell fans? All right. Normally, normally, there's shame in admitting that you eat at Taco Bell, but not here. Not at ZPC, judgment-free zone. Um, this was my favorite food-related response. Anything little Debbie whips up in her glorious kitchen. <laughs> and then this person went on to, to talk for several paragraphs about oatmeal cream pies. Somebody said, skinny pop popcorn. Exe- wait, yeah, okay, I heard a few awes first. To that response, I actually sent a reply back to that person and said, you need to reevaluate what you consider a guilty pleasure. There's a few uh, music uh, things that came up, bands, songs, the Doobie Brothers came up. Um, nice. There was, <laughs> there was someone in our midst, Let's see if he's in here, um, of a certain age uh, that uh, basically he, he, he laid out that he loves the hard rock band Metallica, to which I was completely shocked and surprised, but good for him. Um, somebody said that they love to root for anybody who's playing the Patriots. That's their guilty pleasure. <laughs> and then there was a, uh, quite a list of TV shows, reality TV shows, that were people's guilty pleasures, one of which was the TV show Survivor, any Survivor fans? The person who said Survivor <laughs> has watched all 34 seasons of Survivor. To which I applaud you. I didn't even know there were 34 seasons. Now, this last one, um, this last one, uh, we might meet with this person later. But they, uh, they they shared their guilty pleasure. Their guilty pleasure was men with British accents. <laughs> any any other? I don't know where you people are finding men with British accents in Central Indiana, but. Apparently they're there. Now we laugh, we laugh about this. You know, we all have our own little golden oreo, our own guilty pleasure. And we laugh at these things. But sometimes the things that we come back to and the things that we have a hard time with when it comes to self-control aren't as innocent as the golden oreo or our favorite TV show. Sometimes the things that tempt us have more lasting consequences, don't they? When I was a kid, my grandpa would take my brother and I fishing. And it was an all-day ordeal. We'd wake up early in the morning, much to our chagrin. And we would get ready for the day. We'd pack our lunch. We'd head out to the lake. We'd launch the boat into the water. We'd head off to the spot that we knew that was going to be the best spot, where we were going to catch the most fish. We'd get our fishing poles. We'd open the tackle box. And then we'd have a decision to make. And the decision was, what kind of fish are we going to catch? Are we going to catch bass? Or are we going to catch bluegill? Are we going to catch catfish? Are we going to catch crappie? What are we going to catch? Because whatever it was we were going to catch, we had to pick the right lure for that fish, right? We had to pick the right lure for the fish that we wanted to catch. And each of us has that lure that we have a hard time saying no to. Remember what I said earlier, we're all in the same boat when it comes to temptation. We all struggle with different temptations, but the thing that we have in common is that we all struggle with temptation. Maybe for you, it's this little guy, right? I raided my tackle box, and he's got a pretty little hula skirt thing. Can you guys see that? Yeah, he's got this little nice, like, silver spinny thing, but then when you get close to him, what does he got hidden underneath there? He's a massive, big old barbed hook, right? And you say, "Ah, that's all right, John. I'm not into that. I'm not into the, the fringe hula skirt thing. Maybe you're into this guy. He's got a green back. He's got black stripes. And for some reason, he's split in two, maybe so he can wag his tail around like that. But then when you get closer, you see that he's got, what? He's got six big old barbed hooks. You say, ah, that's not my thing. I'm not into that. Maybe you're into this little guy. It's a white mouse. I don't know of any fish that eat mice, but here you go. I don't know of any mice that live in the water, but here he is. The nice little white mouse. And he's doing his mouse thing. (laughs) But then you get close to him and you realize he's got two big old hooks in the back of him. Just sitting there waiting say, I'm not into the mouse. Well, here you go. This is, it even says it right on him, jitterbug. It's the jitterbug because he makes noise. He's got big old yellow eyes. He's got this big old silver lip thing. I don't know how you can resist that. It's got jitterbug written on it. Can't pass that one up. My point is this. The serpent, as he's referred to in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, has a large tackle box. And he's willing to take his time and to throw all these different things out there. We all struggle with different temptations, but what we have in common is that we struggle with temptation. Why? Why do we all struggle with that? Well, you could basically just say, oh, it's, John, we're just not, we're not good, we're sinful. I think there's more to it than that. Let's remember that story in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent says the serpent's more crafty than any other wild animal that God had created. And the serpent said to Eve, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve says, we can eat of the fruit of the trees, but God said don't eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Don't even touch it or you'll die. And the serpent says, you won't die. Why do we struggle? We struggle because we begin to doubt that God has our best interest in mind. We begin to question that we are fully and truly loved by our Creator. The serpent attacks the truth. How does he do that? He says, did God really say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Actually, no, that's not what he said. God said, you can eat from that tree, 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 you can have that apple, you can have that orange, you can have that pear. As far as you can see, just don't eat from this one. He didn't say you couldn't eat from any. The serpent undermines God's word. He says, you won't die. We struggle because we begin to doubt that God has our best interest in mind. We doubt that we're fully and truly loved. We don't trust that. And so we struggle. Remember the life of Jesus. Jesus went into the desert for 40 days, and he fasted. And after that, he was tempted by that same serpent that came to Eve. That same serpent came to a thirsty, hungry, exhausted Jesus and offered him food and wealth and power. And the question that I'm always left with when it comes to that story is, how did he do it? How did Jesus demonstrate self-control when he was at his weakest? Because I know for me, when I'm at my weakest, I'm usually at my worst. I have been told on a number of occasions that I get grouchy when I'm hungry. Or there is the phrase hangry. Hungry, angry. And I'll admit, I might be a little bit that way this week, as I was studying, I came across an acronym that's used in AA. The acronym is HALT, H-A-L-T. And it stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, and Tired. None of us make good decisions when we are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. True? Yeah. Have you ever been to the grocery store while hungry? Yeah. It's a terrible decision. You come home with multiple packs of golden Oreos. I've been there. The more I think about Jesus in the desert, I think the short answer is that in the face of temptation, Jesus had all he wanted and needed in life. What Jesus wanted and needed at the end of the day is what we all want and what we all need, and that's to be unconditionally loved and know that we are unconditionally loved and trust that we are unconditionally loved by our Father. To know that we're accepted, to know that we're significant, When Jesus was tempted, yeah, he quoted Scripture. He used that as a weapon against temptation. And I'm not saying that that isn't something that we should be doing, but I know for myself, I've quoted Scripture when I'm tempted, when I feel myself losing control, and I've still caved in. Caved into all kinds of things, like greed and pride and lust, you name it. And so I think there's got to be something more. And I think it's that trust in the Father. I'm oftentimes empty, empty emotionally, empty physically, empty spiritually, and in the face of temptation, it leaves me exhausted, and I struggle. Whereas Jesus was full, he was full of the love of the Father, full of acceptance and significance. Jesus trusted, and that trust didn't waver. We have an appetite to be loved and to be accepted, and to know that we're significant. And so we search all over the place to be loved. We search all over the place to be accepted. And the serpent will offer anything to help us satisfy that appetite. And the offers and the voices that he brings are loud. We think to ourselves, if we jump into this relationship, then maybe, maybe I'll feel loved. Or we think, if we can just lose that last 10 pounds and I can fit into that outfit, then maybe, just maybe... I'll be accepted. Or we think maybe if I just buy that boat or buy that house or or buy that car, then maybe I'll feel worth something. Jesus went into the desert to prepare himself for the upcoming three years that he would spend healing and teaching and loving. And so the question for us is, what are we doing to prepare ourselves? What are we doing to move ourselves to that place that Richard Foster mentioned, that I mentioned at the beginning, to that place where something can be done? When the 1960s, psychologist Walter Mischel um, came up with a study. And the study basically was this, that he would put a kid in a room with a marshmallow. He would put one marshmallow in front of the kid, and he would say, I'm going to leave the room and in 15 minutes I'm going to come back. If you haven't eaten the marshmallow, you get a second marshmallow. But if you eat the marshmallow that I leave, you don't get a second one. That's the study. Now, if it sounds familiar, it's because I've used this study with you guys before. And I thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't use this, I've used it before, but then I thought, you know what, I really don't care, they probably don't remember, and it's way too good to pass up, because this is an amazing study in self-control. And so I want you guys to check out this video and then we'll talk just a little bit about it. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal marshmallow for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Really good. You need them. That's how I feel about golden Oreos. They are hard to resist. So the fascinating thing about this is Dr. Mischel, the psychologist who came up with this study uh, in the 60s, well, actually, there's actually clips of the original study that was done in the 60s, uh, there's some fascinating things that the kids do. One kid takes the, the marshmallow, licks the whole thing, puts it back on the plate. Another kid actually tears the marshmallow apart, eats the inside, pushes it back together, kind of like a marshmallow shell, and then put it on the plate. I'm like, yeah, that kid's in prison today, I'm sure. Um, but Dr. Mischel, the, the psychologist who did it originally, he did the study again in 2012. But he changed something. He, he added a layer to the experiment. What he did was he, he, he divided the children up into two groups, and with one group, the children were given a fulfilled promise by the tester before the experiment began. In the other group, they were given a broken promise by the tester before the experiment began. The kids who were given the fulfilled promise by the tester waited an average of four times longer than the children who were given a broken promise. The child's belief that the promise of a second marshmallow would be fulfilled directly affected their choice to delay. If the kid believed that the person making the promise to them about the second marshmallow was trustworthy, they waited. If they don't believe, they didn't wait. And so we come back to that word. We come back to that issue of trust. Jesus trusted in the love of his Father. He lived out of trust and love rather than doubt. If we're to get to this place that Richard Foster describes as the place where something can be done, then we're to live out of the reality that we have a Father who can be trusted, to live out of the reality that we are loved rather than the lie that we are unlovable. If we're to get to this place where something can be done, out of all this talk about who we should be and how we should be comes the reality that we strive to be who we're not. We strive to be something more, We strive to be something that we were created for by our Creator. And we strive not because our Father won't love us if we don't get there, but because we're already loved in spite of who we are, with all of our golden Oreos, and our reality TV shows, and our men with British accents. The author Brendan Manning, he asked the question this way. He said, do you believe that the God of Jesus... Loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, and your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that God loves without condition or reservation and loves you at this very moment as you are, not as you think you should be? And so, as God's church, we strive to get to that place where something can be done. That is why we trust in hope. That is why we trust in humility and faithfulness and self-control. Amen? Amen.